Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stedman podcast. Uh, today, uh, we are going to be talking about a topic that is maybe unfamiliar to a lot of our listeners today, and it's the sin of scandal. Now, we have lived in a culture where scandals seem to kind of come uh, left and right, or it seems to be more commonplace these days with things like with Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, and even just some of the... Um, abuse that we see um, with recently in the SBC. So there's a lot of stuff happening with um, with this in a scandal. So joining me today is Phil Van Dyke. Uh, so Phil, thank you for being back on my show. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So um, so what is the sin of scandal? Like if you were to give me a definition, how would you describe that to somebody? Well, so I don't get the definition wrong. I am going to read from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, And, you know, this is a great resource for anybody, Protestant or Catholic, if you want to know what the church teaches. It's kind of more of like a topical thing. It's not something you read from cover to cover. Mm -hmm. If you do, more power to you, and congratulations. But uh, here it is. It's uh, number 2,284. It says... Scandal is an attitude or behavior which leads another to do evil. The person who gives scandal becomes his neighbor's tempter. He damages virtue and integrity. He may even draw his brother into spiritual death. Scandal is a grave offense if by deed or by omission, another is deliberately led into grave offense. All right. So so I guess when we hear that definition, just to kind of sum it up basically scandal is when there is an individual or at least from the mm-hmm. definition individual who kind of becomes a tempter to mm-hmm. do something that's going to cause a some type of sin whether it's by a deliberately or by omission um causing not only the sin to happen but causing others to kind of fall into that trap um mm-hmm. okay so So I guess when we think about that definition, you know, you can easily think about, um, you know, most commonplace, you know, affairs that happen in the workplace or sometimes in the church where you can have somebody who, for whatever reason, may tempt another person, whether it's kind of a intentional thing, or maybe it could just be just dealing with having these strong emotions and kind of acting on those strong emotions that causes the affair to happen. And then of course, once everything is kind of found out, then that's kind of, in a way, that's when we would say the scandal happened, but really the scandal would have happened kind of right in that initial, whether regardless if the wife spouse or whoever, or the community would know about this particular uh, sin that has been committed. Yeah, so, like, I also think that it's good to know, like, if if we go back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about the way we think about sin, and, you know, like, and I guess with, with, um, with, say, adultery, you know, you're you're talking about lust, and you're talking about, like, sexual vices, like, what is, what does Jesus tell us about that? Like, not even a hint, like, you can't have any of that in, in your system, if you are going to be considered holy. You know, so I would even argue that the sin of scandal happens way before that. And that, like, let's say people at your workplace or where you go to school know that you're a Christian 
And let's say you're with a bunch of guys, you know, as guys often do, and much to our detriment and shame, we will talk about our, our relationships, what guys have done in those relationships with the women. And in, in effect, we disparage the name of the woman by saying some of the things, whether they're true or not, you know, cause you know, sometimes want to put guys want to puff out their chest and say, well, we did this, this, and this, and she's, she's this and that, you know, I would say that the sin of scandal, even like from being a Christian would also be like you being complicit and not speaking up and saying, Hey, this isn't something we should be engaging in. This woman has dignity. She, she was created by someone who really loves her. And whether you did this or not, like it's not our place to talk about them. Now, of course we may lose a lot of friends that way, Mm -hmm. but you know, like, I think that once people know, like if we profess Christ and we start saying or not saying things like even on such a seemingly innocuous level, like we have already begun the sin of scandal because then people will say, well, they didn't say anything about it. They must be okay with it. So if Christians are okay with it, then it's not that bad, you know? Yeah. And I think, and you bring up a good point. It's like the scandal is not necessarily, it's that second part in your definition where, you know, others can be brought into it. So mm-hmm. with the example you gave, it's kind of like, well, even if someone's there and they may not have committed the act, they may not have done anything, but because they are participating, uh, knowingly participating and maybe not saying anything or standing up for uh, this woman, it's kind of like, well, it's like a guilt by association. You're kind of involved in it. So this kind of uh, brings up an interesting topic, because if you think about, um, you know, I, I'm going to go way back. I'm going to talk about Bernie Madoff and, you know, the big okay. scandal that happened with him stealing all this money from people's uh, funds. And you think about how crafty someone would have to be to not only cover their tracks, so no one knew, no one was tipped off that this was happening, but even if somebody did happened to know that this was happening they probably weren't going to say anything because this individual is a very powerful individual um we can think about all the crimes that jeffrey epstein had committed and how many people kind of stayed silent and just kind of allowed it to gather because this was an individual who had powerful connections and new powerful people uh so you when you look at kind of this idea of scandal it's that idea that finally when things come to light and finally when justice is served, I think a lot of times the scandal's not necessarily in the person who did it, but it's the how many people were connected to it and didn't stop it before it got this far to the point where everything has been exposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and again, like it, it all comes down to what people I would think would, would say is mundane, you know, that we, we give scandal in the mundane more than we do in, in the big actions, you know, the devil doesn't tempt you right away with something huge, like an affair, like he tempts you with something that is small, you know, kind of like C.S. Lewis says, you know, the gradual slope, it's, it's not just like a steep incline, like every single decision you make, either straightens you out or contorts your soul in such a way 
that, you know, it, it defines who you become. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because you can kind of look at, um, cause there's something else I was <clears throat> looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, where even like when we talk about this idea of sin of scandal, sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be a person initiating it, but it can become something that can be institutionalized. It's something that oh, yeah. can be part of policy or laws. Um, and, you know, I think when we talked about, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago when me and Michael were talking about the idea of politics in the church and and just pulling up that political thing about, you know, the rise of the religious right. And one of the big things that had to do with not only the whole segregation laws, but you look at Bob, Bob Jones University, who, well, we don't want we don't want black kids coming to our school. So we're going to set up a private school. And we're going to call it a Christian university, but then we still have the power to kind of basically admit who we want to come and attend our school. And then eventually in the 70s, when Nixon is starting to say, hey, we're going to crack down in some of these, you know, these nonprofit religious institutions, and we're going to start taking away 501c3 if they're not kind of, you know, being on board and not allowing everyone to have a fair shot, you know, cause it's, cause for me, I heard that the reason was be- how um, conservatives got deeply into politics or Christians got in deeply in politics was because people are going to lose their 501 C three status or a tax status. But then when you look at the details, it's like, Oh, it actually is more focused around race. So then that's why they got involved. So they could keep their 501 C three so they can still continue to, you know, try to have a mostly Caucasian university. And obviously, you know, Liberty University was the same way back when it was called uh, Christian Liberty University. I think that's what it was called before, just called Liberty University. But yeah, so, I mean, when you think about laws and how certain laws changes, if you don't like the laws, sometimes it's like, well, if the law is doing this, then I'm going to act in this way. Um, So, yeah, so I think there's a lot to really explore on this topic and i think when we talk about sin of scandal it's almost it's not very commonly placed like we can say adultery is a sin or alcoholism is a sin or domestic violence is a sin we can really see how scandal can kind of be that um almost like that um invisible sin that kind of floats around and we don't really know it got our hooks into us mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and I think that something that people really also need to know is sin is also an old archery term, and and that you're just missing the mark. Yeah. Um, So sin isn't necessarily just an offense against somebody else, like like a specific offense against somebody else. It could be when you just say, well, I know what God wants me to do, but I'm going to do what I want to do instead. You know, and I think that the sin of scandal kind of is is something that helps unite all all the sins essentially to to show that we actually belong to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and and what what is God? You know, I mean, God is love, and God is you know peace, and all these other things. But before anything else, God is community. Mm. And when we are in heaven, we're going to be in perfect community. And how, how should we be allowed to be in perfect community if we don't know how to live in perfect community? And yeah. the sin of scandal, I think, 
is a way for us to live in that perfect community. Because once we see that, like, um, well, if I post this on Facebook and it's full of vitriol and hatred, like, and other people will see it, then, you know, what am I doing to build community? Whether or not I think it's righteous or whether or not the person may or may not deserve it, like, it's not my place to be able to say, well, I am your judge and jury because that's, Mm -hmm. that's God alone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned the thing about community, which, you know, I recently read um, Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited. And um, in that book, he talks a little bit about those who are disinherited and like the three um, hounds of hell that they struggle with, which is usually fear, a deceit, but then they, one of them's hatred. And what he, when he talked about hatred, he said, a lot of times hatred is basically people making, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but basically people making assumptions without being in community. And he kind of gives the example of when the Pearl Harbor bombing happened, that there was a lot of people who had a lot of animosity against Asian Americans who were not involved in any of the um, bombings that happened, but because of their genetic makeup, they were kind of hated on and kind of persecuted in, in, in some ways because of basically because of guilt of association. But if they were in community and you were able to see that person, not as the enemy or looking like our enemy, but somebody who says, okay, this is somebody who is created in the image of God. They are the beloved son and daughter of Jesus Christ then you have those conversations and then you would quickly realize that, well, I cannot hate this person because this person is a beloved son or daughter of God, just as I am a beloved son and daughter of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and something that I was kind of thinking about when you were talking is that like when death is finally defeated in, in the end times, like the other thing that will be defeated is this notion of other, you know, there will be no other in, in our eternal life. So how, how are we supposed to bring the kingdom of God if we don't understand first that we have to demolish this sense of other, you know, mm-hmm. and which is why racism is, is so uh, antithetical to Christ's teaching and, and the church. And sadly enough, people in the church, because of fear, because of pride, because of hatred, you know, which all of it is caused by this fear like they they believe what they want because they're afraid that it's going to adversely affect them and really that's all that matters and i'm i'm just as guilty as anybody else like i don't want to point fingers across the aisle and say this is all you <laughs> like i i still struggle with it like i was born into a system and and was institutionalized in such a way that i still deal with some of these racial realities and as much as I can, I try to, to make amends where I can and try to be better, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and I, Oh, go ahead, Phil. No, no, go ahead. It's, I was, I was just going to ramble well, probably. Well, that's <laughs> well, we all do that on the podcast. Um, but I think, you know, I think sometimes even the scandal is the idea of, you know, cause we talked about knowingly and unknowingly, and I want to focus more of unknowingly cause I can remember yeah. I mean, especially living in the South, living here in Virginia, when there was the debate on are we going to start taking down a lot of these monuments that dig that depict um, 
war heroes from the Confederacy. And it was very interesting, the, the conversations, because on one side, people go, yeah, we need to take them down because they represent racial oppression, which we are still seeing in this country today with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and the killing of um, mm-hmm. George Floyd and and others, African-Americans who have been uh, killed without, you know, basically killed without justice. Um mm-hmm. So we see that side of the coin, but then for other people who live down here, they could say, well, no, we shouldn't do that because we shouldn't erase history. And these monuments are part of heritage and it's part of our history. And even, even recently, there's a hotel, down, a historical hotel here in Stanton where it's called the Stonewall Jackson Hotel, been called Stonewall mm-hmm. Jackson Hotel for as long as you know, as long as anyone can remember, and they changed their name to Hotel 24, even took down the big gigantic neon sign that said Mm -hmm. Stonewall Jackson Hotel. And some people were applauding it and other people were absolutely furious over it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I think it's one of these things where it's the scandals, not necessarily in the should we or shouldn't we, the scandal necessarily to me, if I'm understanding it right, is the lack of people having the conversation, people being able to sit and understand why keeping it is so important and why taking it down is so important. And even if you don't necessarily agree with the person who you're you're arguing against, at least you walk away with it better understanding their point of view and how this what this means to them and how this is going to shape them and how it continues to shape them or oppress them in some Mm -hmm. ways. Um, And I think that's a component that we fail to miss because again, I think everything is always focused on, well, this is what I believe. This is what I think. And we don't really care about the needs of our brothers and sisters who may think differently or may have a different experience to what a Confederate statue has over, mm-hmm. over yeah. them. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's really interesting to hear the people say, well, you're taking away my cult- culture and heritage by taking these things away. And I get that. I, I see that argument. And I think that most people put it forth in good faith, not knowing that it's actually a bad faith argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that the sin of scandal could probably even begin with not being able to test and think critically about things. Because if you think about a lot of these places where statues are being taken down and, and monuments and other, and other markers are being taken down, like a lot of these are places of power, like courthouses, you know, and, and they have these symbols of racism that date all the way back to chattel slavery, where people who are going to these institutions are overwhelmingly of minority. Like if you think about the population, like the, the black community, the last I saw that they made up about 13% of, of our, of our country's makeup. And like, they are disproportionately incarcerated. Like, I mean, to the tune of like close to 50% of those that are, that are incarcerated are people who are African-American or otherwise people of color, you know? And what does that do to somebody like 
on top of the fact that the laws themselves are founded in racist ideologies, mm-hmm. then they go and see the oppressor from the beginning of the country, like, or, or at least like from the civil war period, you know, like that isn't there for culture and heritage. That's there as a beacon of oppression to say, we have you now, you are ours. You no longer have the dignity that you thought you had, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where a lot of people really go astray when, when they try to think about that, because they don't want to think that they're that bad of a person, you know? And I don't want to think I'm that bad of a person, but the fact of the matter is, is that when we live complicitly inside of a system where, you know, there, there are things set up for you guys like you and me to succeed where guys of different skin tone would be blocked at just about every path. Like, there are a lot of people that don't want to look at that because that makes them look bad, mm-hmm. you know, and, or their family, or like that, that makes them question like, well, maybe America isn't as great as it really was, we, as we thought it was supposed to be, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a never ending cycle because you just can't really get away from it until you step back and say, wait a second, what do these laws say? What, what are these what are these statues saying by being in places of power? You know, like I'm all for having statues and stuff like that in museums. But you think about the Holocaust museums, like uh, like the, the death camp at Auschwitz is now a, a museum. Like it's not meant to be a place of power. Like it's not just, it's not meant for Jews to go in and feel the littleness of, of their humanity you know, it's meant to be a memorial to say, this is what we, this is what happened in the past. This is what we are trying to never let happen again. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the big thing, because if you want to get away, if you want to get rid of scandals power, I mean, it's about being truthful. It's about being honest. It's about having those difficult questions and being open to, hearing the conversation and hearing the side from from both people and i think a lot of times it's not necessarily like i said you know sometimes it can be the sin of scandal can be institutional Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of times when we look at some of the things with injustice and some of the things that may be happening on an institutional level um you know from you know the creation of the uh you know the Declaration of Independence to, because um, even even Martin Luther King Jr. and a lot of his messages, he would always go back to the Constitution, saying, you know, it is it is good for all men to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So why is it that certain people can have that? Um, why Anglo-Saxon Protestants can have that, but not African Americans, not the Catholic Irish, you know, not not the French. But, you know, there's, yeah, go ahead, Phil. (laughs) So you you bring up an interesting point because like, and I do know, and I don't want to take away from the Irish Catholic experience in the beginning of the country Mm -hmm. where they were persecuted. Yeah. But the the interesting thing about that is like the definition of whiteness has changed over the course of time Mm -hmm. to incorporate Irish Catholics or, you know, any, any other group that looks close enough to our skin tone to where they don't have to identify by 
their heritage the way people of color have to identify by their heritage. And that's really one of the more insidious mechanisms within the institution of white supremacy is that, you know, we, people who are white and in power have the power essentially to say, well, these people who were once on the out can now be in, but we're still excluding everybody else. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when when we are living in that system, and when we are when we are saying but or not saying anything, and 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 essentially like rubber stamping the system, that's when we give scandal to not only uh, people who are white like us, but also to people of color who are disproportionately suffering. You know, and I'm not sorry if you're mad about that. I used to be at one point, like I used to care about that. But the fact of the matter is, is that I have brothers and sisters who are devastated by the system. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't until I really started listening to them and their heartbreak and, and just hearing about their family and, and, or like whether, whether or not they personally experience it, like it is a collective experience. It's not just isolated. And a lot of these isolated incidents that we're seeing are only coming about because people are being recorded. The fact of the matter is, is like, it's been happening since the beginning of of time, Mm -hmm. or at least with our country. Well, yeah. And I mean, even if you go back to like a dateline or 60 minutes, I mean, there's occasionally a an episode where they talk about, oh, here is this person who was in prison for 30, 40, 50 years. And then finally, after so much time has passed, this person is free because the charges that were brought against them were either falsified or the new evidence that came up was, you know, the new evidence found out that, oh, it actually wasn't this person. And you, but then I feel like any time when I see those stories, it's almost like every time it's never someone who is white, it's always someone who is black. And especially when you get into the story of where it's happening and the time frame, I mean, you can easily draw your own conclusions and can easily say, well, this is the reason why this person was in jail and wrongly accused was because they were, you know, in Alabama. And, you know, it was during the times of segregation and or even in the height of the civil rights movement. And it's almost like, you know, and you can. And again, because someone was able to law enforcement or whoever were able to take the law into their own hands and, you know, put this person away. And then finally, you know, whether you want to say new evidence came about or finally someone goes, you know, let's reexamine this because obviously there's some things that seem a little dicey. So let's go ahead and double check that. And you go, well, yeah, this person didn't do it. And we just, and that's the thing. It's like, it's great that they are out of prison, but I don't know Mm -hmm. again, and I don't know the logistics or the legality, but what type of compensation are they getting? Hey, sorry that you had to waste 30 years in jail are bad some places don't even give any compensation at all oh, yeah and i don't like, think i don't uh, think yeah I, I very rarely do i hear anybody give any compensation unless they decide to counter sue the state and then that's when you start getting mm-hmm. kind of the um 
that's when you start getting into the idea of, okay, now we're going to get compensated. But again, it's not like it's going to be freely given. You're going to have to fight for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, which again is a whole other issue that's kind of getting away yeah. from our topic at hand. So yeah. we've talked a little bit about how this happens in society. How does the Senate scandal begin to permeate and kind of start affecting uh, things within the local church? I mean, I think that the local church is a microcosm of of society at large. So all of these discussions are happening or not happening, you know, and it's it all starts at the at the personal level, you know. It, it's when I'm trying to think how I want to say this. Okay, so let's let's go back to this this idea of purity, you know, and and talking about you know when guys are doing this locker room talk, it it starts at that small of a level and continues to to multiply further out from there. So everything that you see in society can be traced back to the personal life, whether it's in the church or not, you know, and I think that the fact of the matter is, is that most of us in the church are not immune to this. It, it would be great if we were, but you can start seeing these injustices all throughout because of people's action or inaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you, it's interesting to bring up the idea of purity because, you know, when we think about, um, you know, when I hear people talk a little bit about the idea of deconstruction and one of the reasons why they left the church and, you know, some of them will point, you know, especially a lot of women will point to purity culture because it almost seemed like when it came to purity things, it was like they were the ones that were specifically targeted. You know, you can't do this. You can't wear that. You have to be careful what you do or what you wear because you're going to cause these Christian men to stumble and to have lustful thoughts. And mm-hmm. yet... When it comes to the guys, there's nothing like, I mean, I, th- I can think of all the years and I've, I mean, we've talked about, I've talked about this, you know, a couple of podcasts back, like probably a couple of years ago when we we're talking about the church and sex. And it was interesting because it's like, when it came to me going through youth, not a lot of sex talk or if there was sex it mostly was about women you know women you have to be you know pure you have to be modest and you know modest is hottest i think that was like in a christian bookstore on a t-shirt modest is hottest you know know, how many girls i mean a lot of girls got the joshua harris book i kissed dating goodbye and we see now that now he's even condemning his own book and basically told that please do not put this book out in print. I mean, he wrote that when he was like 17 years old and it's like, wait a minute. (laughs) So what do you know about purity? You're 17 years old. So you, you look at all these things, but then even as a campground that I've worked at for many, many years, never once did I feel like after lunch, when the kids were going to crash time, did someone one of the guy counselors says okay gentlemen i need you guys to stay after real quick we're gonna have to talk about some things it's mostly like girls come back 
your shorts are too short. We're starting to see some belly button from your shirts. Make sure you have long enough shirts. You know, if you're going to wear a bikini, you got to wear a colored shirt. Um, you know, you got to, you, you know, you have to, you know, your straps have to be at least an inch or two inches thick if you're going to wear a tank top. Um, and even if you are wearing a tank top, it has to be a high cut, not a low cut. And, you know, it was like all this pressure. And, and my and my response to that is, well, where are they going to buy clothes? Because if I'm a girl and I'm going shopping, I'm going to an Old Navy, I'm not going to find clothes unless I'm unless I'm shopping in the guy section and I want to dress up like a dude. Then maybe that's where I can get like a tank top that's pretty thick and high up that's when i can get shorts that are like you know below the knees or whatnot like like it was stuff like that where and i've and and i'm I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm rambling here so i do apologize i want to make my point Fine. but i also find it so fascinating that you know the scandal in itself is that we continue to hold women accountable in purity culture men are not held accountable and even if the man is the one who cheats on his wife, a Christian man. He's the one who has the affair. He's the one who's caught looking at pornography and it has this fall and has this fall from grace from church leadership. The blame is still on the woman. Mm-hmm. Well, you weren't you weren't having sex with your husband enough. You weren't you weren't you weren't being a good housewife and doing and taking care of your husband's um, core needs. You weren't fulfilling his desires. You weren't doing this. You weren't doing that. And it's that statement right there, which says, okay, even when the woman does everything right, she stays pure. She's a virgin. She waits till marriage. She gets married. And that's the first time she has sex. And then after so many years, her husband divorces her or has an affair. It is still her fault. And yeah. no blame has been put on the man because the man has never been pushed and says, hey, you have a role in this too. You have yeah. to make sure that you get your mind out of the gutter. You have to make sure that you have accountability. You have to make sure that you are also taking care of your spouse's needs as well. It's not, relationships are not a one-way street. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I remember growing up in in the purity culture movement. I got a ring saying that I was going to be pure. I you know, did the whole nine, but never once were the guys taken aside and say, Hey, you not only have to protect your own chastity, you have to protect the chastity of the women around you. And Mm -hmm. that has done the biggest disservice or one of the biggest disservices to women in the church, you know? And, and I know that a lot of times people get mad about this. Well, I shouldn't be wearing this because the church tells me to, but I don't care. And I do think that there's a kernel of truth in being able to say, like, why are you wearing what you're wearing? Like, are you wearing it to glorify God or are you wearing it to get attention? Now, at the same time, I don't think that we should focus on it so much that, you know, it becomes legalistic. But again, in this, this idea that we belong to each other, like if, if I'm wearing something and let's, let's say for argument's sake that I have washboard abs and 
you know, I've got, I'm, I'm the complete package when it, when it comes to physical appearance, mm-hmm. which I mean, if you look at me, you know that that's not really <laughs> the case, <laughs> but for the sake of argument, let's say that like, I have been struck by the fact that, I mean, especially since I've been married, if I go swimming, I, I don't think that it's good for me to go out and be like, Hey, everybody look at me. Like I'm flaunting the way I look without a shirt on because that could make some other woman stumble, Mm -hmm. you know, and it could make my wife stumble in the sense that she could get jealous by the way other women are looking at me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, it's essentially how, how do we compose ourselves around each other? Should a, should Christian women around men be wearing bikinis? I might argue no, you know, because whether or not the guys are doing their due diligence, like why would you want to wear it? I mean, now if it's really hot, I'm not going to get into that. Like I'm not going to get into the legalistic issue of that. My, my question is at the heart, like, are you wearing this because you think you look good and you want to impress those around you mm-hmm. or do you want to you know glorify your body and god in by because like the reason why the church and especially the catholic church says to cover yourself up men and women is not because it's dirty but because it's so valuable mm-hmm. like the fact of the matter is is like and 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 any guy that is troubled with pornography knows that like once you start seeing women as objects, the holiness of intimacy is shattered. Mm-hmm. And I I heard um, a priest, Father Mike Schmitz. He's he's essentially like one of the most popular priests right now. Talk about this idea of every time a married couple consummates the marriage, they grow in holiness but only if they're in a state of grace. And when, when they're in that state of grace, like they're renewing their vows every time they come together to say, this, this is what God has intended for us. And our love for each other is, is what it, it, I mean, it's God given and it's being grown by God. And if you have lustful thoughts, if you watch pornography, if you do any of that, like none of that can happen. And I think that it's like this don't ask, don't tell mentality because nobody wants to talk about the goodness of sex. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, because I mean, like you can really get into the weeds and I don't really want to get into the weeds here, but the fact of the matter is, is like, if you are married and you are with other men or women respectively who are married, like we should be able to talk about that kind of stuff. And we should be able to communicate that to our children because I like, think about the sin of scandal and what, what it means for parents and children by what we do and what we don't do. You know, if I get mad and my daughter sees me get mad at something and I react a certain way, she's going to start to think, oh, well, that's okay to act that way. Mm-hmm. Or if I tell her that like, hey, you have to do this because you are the one that has to control your body because men aren't going to do anything like to, to do it for you. Like that's, that's me like putting all of that on her and, and causing her to feel shame about her body, you know? And the fact of the matter is, is I can't protect her from everything, but I have her, I have to let her know that when she is growing up, she has dignity. She is loved. She is beautiful and nothing is going to take that away from her 
except herself. No man can take that from her. And what I want to instill in her is, is this idea that she needs to protect herself, not just for her husband, but for herself and for her own dignity. You know, if, if she wants to wear, like, like if, if maybe when she's old enough, because she's only three right now, <laughs> like, you know, if she, if she grows up in a society where you can't get anything that, you know, what anybody would call modest anymore, how do you live within that society? Like how, how do you bring your dignity into that? And that's what I want to try to show her is try to show her her dignity and her value. Because if she knows her dignity and her value, she's going to want to do that on her own. And it was not because of any man, because no man really like deserves that from her, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's just wild to me. Yeah. And I think, I think when we, you know, just to kind of really summarize things, you know, how do you kill I guess, how do you combat against this and the scandal? Well, I think, first of all, it's the identity aspect, the recognition that not only am I a beloved child of God, but everybody that has flesh and bones is a beloved child of God, regardless of color, regardless of age, regardless of, you know, opinions, they are a child of God. So I think, A, we have to start there that, you know, the respect of, and especially because if I do that, then I'm in community with them. Cause mm-hmm. you can't be in community when you are against your neighbor, you have to be loving your neighbor. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, you know, I think the second thing is transparency. Yeah. You can't, I mean, the thing, the thing, white, what makes scandal so scandalous is that it finally comes to light after it has been hidden. But if you start everything transparently, you know, there's a difference between, you know, me being a pastor and me having a porn addiction and someone finding out about it, a church secretary seeing porn on my computer, as opposed to me being in my office, I happen to go click through email. Somehow I click and I'm now looking at porn and I go and I talk to my elders and said, hey, I need to tell you guys something real quick and just explain the Mm -hmm. situation ask for forgiveness. If I feel like I need help or counseling, you know, ask, maybe take a leave of absence, go get help and counseling. But at least I was being transparent and I was able to admit my wrong and admit the sin that I have committed and say, Hey, uh, here's, here's what happened and be transparent because you can't have a scandal when the person who is committing the scandal is coming clean. And is, is bringing everything to light instead of the light being exposed into the darkness. Um, and then I think the final thing is that, you know, you talk about the idea. And I think if you combine, actually, I think finally, if you can combine those two, that identity and being a child of God, because there you're going to have your self-worth, you're going to have your dignity. And then also transparency means you're going to be open and honest to not only with yourself, but with others then that begins to create a culture that begins to leaves no room for scandal to be able to hide or scandal to be able to secretly get its hooks into somebody because everything is being brought into the light. Yeah. So, I mean, I would probably add one thing to that okay. and that would be humility you know, because I think that a, a humble spirit is is kind of the source of all of this. Because if you're prideful, you're never going to admit that you 
that you've done anything wrong. You know, it's it's that sense of humility. And the other thing is, is with the transparency, and it's one of the one of the many things I love about the Catholic Church, um, just the sacrament of reconciliation and being able to go to a priest and and confess your sins, not because you know, like God has already forgiven me. I know that. But the fact of the matter is, is that I have not only sinned against God and myself, I have sinned against my neighbor and going to a priest. And if need be to the person, maybe that I've offended is one of the greatest graces you could ever receive. And even there are even some penitential rites that you, that you can do during mass where, you know, you say, uh, a, an act of contrition, essentially, and say, you know, I have sinned in my, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, you know, and I mean, it's a beautiful prayer, like going through the whole thing, you know, because like when, when you talk about the fact that you sin and like when you say that you sin, like you say through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, and then like you beat your breast each time you say it's your fault to kind of like, to put it out there to be like, I've sinned against you, brothers and sisters, and I need your forgiveness. I need the forgiveness of the Lord, and I need everybody to pray for me. You know, and and I think that being able to like, because any and when you do that, there's always this danger of it becoming like a rote thing where it's like, oh well, I'm going to say this and beat my breast three times, and now I'm good. Instead of just kind of sitting back and like thinking about eternity and thinking about the the consequences of your actions and, and being able to sit in that mystery of what is grace and like why do I deserve it and as as you're getting that grace you know is is probably one of the most important things that we can really kind of you know just latch on to because and, and it's and it's the other thing like and a lot in church like we don't want to sit in that mystery. Like we we want to have surety. We want to know that everything that we think is right. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that, that is another sin. Like that is a sin of pride, yeah. you know, and, and, and how do we, how do we get out of that is we have to be humble. We have to admit when we're wrong and we have to seek forgiveness from God, the father and our community. Yes. Not to say that everybody needs to know everything about your life. <laughs> there are certain people that you should talk to. Mm-hmm. And I think as a Catholic, I really appreciate the fact that I can go to my priest or I can go to any priest really and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I go through my sins. I rebuke the sins. And the priest tells me what God has already told me. But it's that physical, tangible grace that I get saying your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm go and sin no more. And then I have my penance and being able to say, okay, as long as I'm doing this penance in, in a sense of authenticity, yeah, then I am absolved of all of my sin, whether or not I actually said, I, cause, cause sometimes you might forget something. And then after you go to confession to be like, oh, I forgot to say that. But yeah. the good thing <laughs> is, it's like in, 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 in that you say for all these sins that I have committed and those that I have not said, you know, it, it's all washed away. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's, that's, that's my, my Catholic. All so right. for a second. That's all right, man. 
Well, Phil, again, thank you so much. I think this is a uh, great topic. And obviously, we could explore a lot deeper and go and go a lot longer on this topic. Uh, but I think this kind of is a good benchmark to kind of get people to understand uh, the Sin of Scandal. Uh, what was the name of the book again that you had that kind of talked about it? You said it was a Catholic book. Yeah, it's the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I can show it to you. Okay, yeah. This is the second edition. If you want to read it on a Saturday, it's not not the light reading you're, you're looking for. But let's say you have a question about what does the church teach about loving your neighbor? Well, then you look in okay. the index, you find it, and boom, everything you needed to know about loving your neighbor or anything that, that, that the church talks about. Okay. All right. Good. Awesome. Well, Phil, again, it's always a pleasure to have you on my show. And thank you so much for sharing your uh, wisdom and your knowledge on this topic. Thank you so much for having me. And guys, again, thank you so much for listening to the Scott Stedman podcast. Again, if you haven't heard already, I have set up a coffee account that is ko-fi.com slash the Scott Stedman podcast. Go ahead. There's some incentives. There's some cool stuff over here. If you love this podcast and would like to support me again, all proceeds go to the podcast, I do not take a dime for myself. It automatically goes to upgrading equipment, getting software updates and renewals and all that fun stuff. So guys, if you go ahead and check that out, that is kofi.com slash the Scott Seven podcast. Again, there should be a link in the show notes that you can click on as well. And guys, I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll have a new podcast for you uh, next week. Talk to you guys later. Bye. <music>